home here each time we come, and then you go and sing a song just for me. Thank you so much for that beautiful song. Thank you, Anna Grace and Praise Team, and thank you for everyone who's had a part in this service so far here today. I've been thinking uh, a lot over the last several years about what makes a healthy church. Well, so many churches are not. And I even preached a message here early on about what is a healthy church. But there's a thought that developed in my mind this morning, and I want to try it out on you. I'm not going to preach on it. I'm going to preach on it somewhere else unless you throw eggs at me. I know that some of you probably kept a few back there in the hymnal rack. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know, last time I preached here, they were handing out eggs before service. Uh, and almost everyone had a dozen or two next to them while I was preaching. Uh, and that really kept me straight during that time. Uh, but uh, I, I've been thinking that uh, in a healthy church, the, there are enough mature Christians to set the mood in the church. If you don't have enough to set the mood in the church, then the immature Christians are going to set the mood in the church. And if that's the case, you're going to have an unhealthy, unstable, immature church. And as I was thinking this morning about what makes a mature Christian, I thought about how they go to church on Sunday morning. Now, that's an experience that should be very uh, uh, present in your memory since you just did it, right? That's what you have done. You've gotten up, gotten dressed, uh, washed your face, I hope, or the top of your head, some of us, and you've come on in to worship the Lord. And we've worshiped him in prayer. We've worshiped him in, in praying over special needs. We've worshiped him by singing praises. <clears throat> but what makes a mature Christian on a Sunday morning. I think there are three things that came to my mind. The first one is you come determined to worship. You're not going to let anybody or anything distract you, right? And some of you didn't even feel like coming today, and yet you fought off that, oh, I could stay home and watch it, or I could. You, you made your way here. Second thing that makes a mature Christian is that you come determined to open your life up to the word that's preached. You're not going to stub up when the word reaches in there and says it's time for you to change something. It's time for you to come to the altar. It's time for you to start doing something that you've been putting off. No, you come with a heart open, willing for the Lord to work on you. You've been reading your word all week. You need to come in on Sunday morning and let the word read you. And then the third thing is, you come to church determined to find somebody who needs encouragement, and you encourage them. You know, you're looking for somebody. Who's looking at their shoes in walking across the parking lot? Uh, who's got a limp? Uh, who, who seems to be a little bit down? Uh, uh, who's smiling, but you can tell that that smile is, is kind of forced? Uh, who is it that you've heard has been sick or has a difficult situation? They've lost their job. Who can you be led by the Holy Spirit to go up to and speak a word of 
encouragement. And so I wanted to share that with you because if the mature Christians outnumber the immature Christians, they can set the tone in the church and the church can be a forward-moving, healthy church. Well, we haven't seen you this year, I don't believe. Uh, we spent the first month, I think the last place we went in December, I contracted COVID. We had a good service, <laughs> but uh, uh, so I spent most of January trying to recover, uh, and then now we're in the middle uh, of February and March. The Lord has privileged us to preach in eight different churches and eight straight Sundays, and we're right in the middle of it. Uh, and so here we're preaching at Doyle, Doyle Marley's last pastorate. Uh, and next week we go down to Thunder Swamp uh, in eastern North Carolina and preach at his dear friend Jimmy Whitfield's last pastorate. Um, and so I just say that in case Doyle is listening. I just want to dig that in because some of you know about those two fellows. And we're delighted, delighted to be here. Um, I'd like to... Uh, greet you the way I learned growing up in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. I have deep roots. Many of you do as well. Uh, I've been preaching over 50 years. Uh, I've, I was nurtured in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. It was the only church I ever knew growing up. Uh, before that, my father spent his entire life growing up in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. And before that, his father starting at age eight in 1909 as a charter member of the Roanoke Fire Baptized Holiness Church. So I have deep roots that go back over 110 years, but at any point, my grandfather, my father, or myself, we often heard the five cardinal doctrines of the Pentecostal Holiness Church testified to something like this. I want to thank God that I'm saved, I'm sanctified. Uh, many times Jesus has healed my body. He has filled me with the precious Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues and I am looking for and waiting on his soon return. And I tell you, if you can have that testimony that you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, that he is your healer and you know that he's coming back for you, then you can walk each day in the joy of the Lord. Uh, I've kind of tricked you there because that's the title of my sermon, The Joy of the Lord. When I was a boy, the older saints used to call it several things, uh, they, talk, they called it in particular having the victory or keeping the victory. Is anybody old enough to remember what the victory is? I'm going to tell you, you not only need to remember it, you need to walk in it today. It's having the joy of the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, my primary verse for this sermon where I get my title is verse 4, but I'd like to give you a little context and I'm going to read from the New King James verses 3 through verse 8. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved, 
I implore Uodio and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. What, what is that? This is a wonderful church. Paul loved the church of Philippi and they had, they had folks in there that loved the Lord and were working for the Lord and didn't like each other. That's just the bottom line. Now I know that the folks that always sit over here and the folks that always sit over here are not trying to stay away from each other here. I was hoping y'all would laugh. I knew if you didn't laugh that I was on to something. Oh. And I urge you also, true companion, help these ladies who've labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also and, rest, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. One of the things I love to teach in church uh, is the book of Philippians. It usually takes eight to ten Wednesday nights or Sunday nights, and, but every week I tell them uh, that you need to have the full context of this letter in front of you. And I tell them three things. When you think of Philippians, remember that the setting is jail. This letter is written by a man in jail. The subject is not his situation. The subject is Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, what he wants to do for you, how he wants you to live. And I also tell them this, the sentiment of this letter is joy. The word that comes up more than any other word except Jesus in this letter is joy. And here we see it beautifully summarized in the last chapter, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, and that means I'm going to keep saying it, rejoice. Jesus always brings joy even in jail. That's how I summarize the book of Philippians. Jesus always brings joy in any circumstance, even when you're at the lowest point, like being thrown into jail. Now, what I'm going to do, I'd like for you to keep your Bible open, and I'm going to step down here where I can see you a little bit better. And I'm going to put some handouts here for the people who uh, are going to say, you're going too fast, you went over too many scriptures, I took a little nap and missed something. You can come up here and pick up one of these because I'm going to take you all the way through the Bible. You've heard of those one old preachers say, my goodness, he went kiver to kiver. Uh, we're going to go from the first part of the Old Testament to the last part of the New Testament. We're going to hit a lot of scriptures, and I would tell you how many, but you would already start looking for a way out. It's not going to be that long. I'm going to make it fairly quick. You can take some notes, but 
I'm going to put this up here. I've also given your treasurer. Would you raise your hand in case folks don't know? There we go. She's got a copy. If we run out here, she can run some for you uh, in the office after church. Let's start with this. If joy is something we're supposed to do, right? It's not an emotion. It's something we're supposed to do. What exactly is it? We can't do something if we don't know what it is. Like the woman I heard once said, I keep telling him to be a better husband. Be a better husband. And he came to me and he said, I would if I knew what she meant by a better husband. And I said, well, do you listen? Right? And so what is the definition of joy if it's something that we are supposed to do? You might say, uh, as I did growing up, isn't it the same thing as being happy? You have joy, you are happy. Well, I, I love to be happy, but these are not the same things. Joy is on a different and higher plane than happiness. To be happy means that the happenings in your life are good. To be unhappy means that the happenings in your life aren't good. But we're told to have joy when things are good and when things aren't. We're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. So what exactly is it? The Greek word in the New Testament is kara, and it means something like this, the awareness of God's grace and favor, the awareness of God's grace and favor. One theologian put it this way, joy is grace recognized. So what exactly does that mean? It means it's an outward manifestation on our part that we recognize the operation of God's grace in our lives and in the lives of others. So what is God's grace? Grace means enablement. God tells you to do something you can't do and then he takes his ability to do that and puts it inside of you. Let's take something simple. Love everybody. You're not doing that. You're not going to do that on your own. You can't do that on your own. It's not Cap you're not capable in our natural selves to love everybody, right? You don't even like everybody. How can you love? Sometimes you don't like yourself. <laughs> How can you love everybody? Because if you will try, he will put his love in your heart. Romans 5 says it's shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Ghost, God puts his love, the same love that took Jesus to hang on that cross to save you, that love is put in your heart by his grace. God's ability whew, put in us. Joy is our response to being aware of the greatness of that grace. And no matter what happens to you, Car won't start. Water heater goes out, right? Grandchild starts shacking. I'm just trying to hit y'all where you probably are. I mean, many are, okay? Uh, for Doyle Marley, 
Duke loses. <laughs> Gwen told me if Doyle's here, I don't want to hear a word about that ball game. He should have come. <laughs> now I've thrown myself off. When you're aware of the greatness of, of what he's done for you, you were a sinner on your way to hell. You could not save yourself. And he died on the cross. He saved you and he's sanctified you and he's filled you with his precious Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. He's many times healed your body. And you know he's going to split the eastern sky and come back for you. Hallelujah. If you keep that in the forefront of your mind, the forefront of your heart, you don't have to worry about whether you're happy or unhappy, but you've got the joy of the Lord. I'm going to start with Deuteronomy. That's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's not many of yours, but it's one of mine. Jesus loved it. He quoted from Deuteronomy more than uh, any other book, along with Isaiah and Psalms. He loved Deuteronomy. And this is the first significant mention of joy. And it's mentioned by God himself. Now, you can take notes or you can pick these up later. Um, uh, just don't sit there and think about the race. I mean, just try to hang with me, okay? Try to hang with me. Because God said, Deuteronomy 28, 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord has sent to get you. Uh, so what do I draw from this? The Lord wants us to serve him with joy, <laughs> right? And he gets upset when we don't, and many of the problems we may have, we bring on ourselves because we refuse to serve the Lord with joy and gladness of heart. Just as Paul expects joy from Christians in Philippians 4, the Lord expected it from his people, even under the old covenant law. Now, I'm going to take you to Nehemiah. In fact, we're going to look at two verses, Nehemiah 8, 10. This is one that almost everybody knows from the Old Testament. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What it's telling us is if we have little or no joy in our life, we'll have little or no strength to live the life that he's called us to live. We can't access the grace the enablement of God to lead a victorious Christian life if we do not keep the joy of the awareness of what his grace has done for us at the forefront of our heart and our mind. So most of us know that verse from Nehemiah, but here's one you don't know, many don't, from the last chapter or near the last part of the book, Nehemiah 12, 43. And it says, on that day when they rebuilt the temple, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For the Lord had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard 
afar off. Here we see great obedience leads to great joy. And that joy is not individuals, but whole families and whole churches and whole communities. And the Lord enables us to worship him like that because he gives us that great, that great joy. He puts it in us. We have to tend it, keep it, nurture it, not let it go. But that joy is called the joy of the Lord because that joy is the Lord's and he gives it to us. It comes from the Lord. And notice that everybody all around, all over Rockingham and Henry County, people are going to hear about what's going on at Stoneville because the men and the women and the children have great joy over the wonders that the Lord has done for them. Now I'm going to take you into Job. You say, wait a minute, there's no joy in Job. Well, maybe the last chapter. Uh, well, right in the middle of one of Job's miserable friends blaming him for this, that, and the other, Zophar made the following correct statement, and I want to pull it out. It says, he said, the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. The NLT renders that the joy of the hypocrite is only temporary. And I'm going to tell you, temporary joy is not what the Bible calls the joy of the Lord. If you've got it, you've got it, and you need to hold on to it. It doesn't depend on whether you like the music. It doesn't depend on whether you like the preaching. It doesn't depend over whether the power fell or the power didn't fall. It doesn't depend on whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day it is. It doesn't depend on your bank account. It doesn't depend on your home situation. The joy of the Lord comes from him to you because he saved you when you couldn't save yourself. So it's not temporary. It doesn't come and go. The Lord put a love in my heart. There's a woman over here I've been asked not to point out. Now y'all can guess which one it is. No, it's that one right there. Put a love in my heart for her, right? And over the years, almost 40 years, it's gotten bigger and better. It's, it's not that childish kind of love. Maybe it was in the beginning and not as giddy, but sometimes it is kind of giddy. I look at her and I just go, oh, boy. Uh, right? But because it's God's love, it's commitment. When he gave me that love, he gave me that love because I committed to take care of her all the days of her life, right? And she did the same for me. So it doesn't come and go. There's not a single morning I've gotten up and looked across the table and thought, what have I gotten myself into? I'm going to need to go to a counselor and get him to jack me back up before I can look her in the face, all right? Now, you know, you don't go by, it's not emotions, right? It's not emotions. It's true love that comes from God. True joy that comes from God is not temporary. Now I want to go in the Psalms. 
We'll make three quick stops. Psalm 27, verses 5 and 6, for in the time of trouble. Anybody ever been in that? I think our nation's in it. Certainly the Ukrainians are in it. He shall, he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me on a, on a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Sometimes joy as an outward expression of your awareness of the greatness of God's great grace, sometimes you need to make yourself utter those words. Lift your hands, move your feet, open your mouth. Why? Because you've been caught up in times of trouble that have pushed you down and worn you out and your emotions are always trying to get a hold of you. I heard Brother Jimmy Whitfield say one time, your emotions, your emotions are, are the dumbest part of you. <laughs> because why? I mean, we all got them. But if you listen to them, they get you in trouble every single time. Now, uh, joy is often a battle to express, and the best place to offer sacrifices of joy is in God's house. Psalm 52, many of you know this is when David had eyed another man's wife and gotten into trouble and had her husband killed so he could take her. Right. And then Nathan pointed his finger at him and he repented. And, and when he repented, he wrote Psalm 51 and there's a line in there about joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Oh, that joy that comes from our salvation, that joy of the Lord, it can go down because we have sin in our lives and we can lose that sense of joy, that thing that is our strength, that is our appropriate response to the greatness of God's grace and we just can't seem to find it in order to offer it because we need to ask the Lord to forgive us of our sin and restore to us the joy if you don't have the joy you used to as a Christian, the first place you need to look is at yourself. Go stand in the mirror. Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you or the things I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing or the things I'm thinking, things I'm saying, things I'm not doing that, you, that you've told me to do? And forgive me, Lord. Wash me whiter than snow. Cleanse me with hyssop, with the blood. In the New Testament, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. One more stop in the Psalms, 149. Let the saints be joyful in glory. I love that word glory. It's doxa in Greek, and I still can't figure out what it means. I just know I like it. Every now and then, church, I feel, whoa, glory. Glory. And I had a person ask me one time, what does that mean? I said, I'm not quite sure, but I just know I got to let it out or I'm going to blow up. 
glory has something to do with the greatness and presence of God. And if you want to, it tells us right here that we are to be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. I imagine you've never heard a sermon about what you do on your bed. Well, right here it is. The Lord's getting in bed with you, and he wants to tell you something. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Being joyful is connected here to offering praise, thanking the Lord for the things that he's done for us. And there's one place mentioned in this psalm to do that. And unlike what we've seen before, it's not the sanctuary, it's your sanctuary. Every night, I mean, Gwen and I saved up for many years till we finally bought us a high-class mattress. Right? <laughs> we even had it delivered. I didn't try tying it to the top of the truck. Uh, I mean, we went all the way. We can go up, put our feet up. We can do all kind of things. And every, almost every night when we get into bed, it's just like we go, wow. I like being here, right? <laughs> and, and so I was thinking about this, though. It says that the one place that we are to rejoice is in our bed. And I think there are two times that we're awake in our bed. Now, sometimes we have the dark night of the soul and we're up all night. But generally, what are the two times you're in bed? When you go to bed and when you get up. Wouldn't it be nice if you could offer praise, a joyous praise in glory before you go to sleep? Maybe you wouldn't have. I didn't do that last night. I should have. I'm preaching on it. I didn't do that last night. And I worked and worked and worked in my dreams. I don't know how many people are trying to get me, people I don't know, to solve their problems. And they were stupid problems. And I wanted to tell them that. And I dreamed that over and over and over. And then I got up and went to the bathroom, went back to the to bed thinking I was going to do better and started right back in on it. I'm going to tell you what I did when I got up. Glory! Thank you, Jesus. Now, Gwen was still asleep, so I went in my office, shut the door. Thank you, Lord, before I go to bed tonight. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Thank you. I rejoice in the greatness of your salvation. And now one stop in the Proverbs. Proverbs 21, 15 says, a joy for the just to do justice. You know that joy can come from righteous living. And you say, well, that's some kind of religious talk. What's righteous living? It's really simple. Doing the right things from a right heart. The Bible tells you how to live, right? And when you live according to the Bible, because you want to from a right heart, there are some people with a right heart who ignore the Bible. And there are some people who try to live by the Bible, but their heart's not right. Both of those categories are miserable people to be in church with. But righteous living, right actions from a right heart. And it tells us that when, when we do that, that we have joy. When you slip somebody a Pentecostal handshake before they go home, y'all know what that is? I said that once and a Baptist person came up and gave me one. You know what they did? Get up, I'll show you. They did. Woo! <laughs> I said, where's my $20? <laughs> no. 
they misunderstood. You give somebody that, you don't go tell everybody, right? But when you're walking back to the car, it just settles in you, just some kind of joy. And you don't listen to country music on the way home. You just sing the songs that we sing in church or you don't listen to this. You don't have Fox News on the radio. You're just listening. You're thinking, wow, I just want to rejoice. I just want to praise you, Lord. In Isaiah chapter 12, in the first couple of verses, we read, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Joy not only comes from our great salvation, it helps us to access the full benefits of what God has done for us. Not just saved, but sanctified. Not just sanctified, but filled with the Holy Ghost. Not just filled with the Holy Ghost, but he's taking care of my physical problems. Not just healed, but knowing there's an ultimate healing coming when he comes down to take us back with him. And then there's Isaiah 51. So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and shall come to Zion with singing and with everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Joy comes from our eternal deliverance from death into eternal life. You have eternal life once you're born again. If you have eternal life, you've already been given eternal joy. It is everlasting and it shall be on your heads and in your heart and on the words of your mouth. And then we move into the New Testament, Matthew 13, 44. Jesus himself says in a parable that the kingdom of heaven's like a treasure hidden in a field in which a man found and hid and for joy over all that, uh, for, for over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Joy comes, uh, joy, excuse me, this true everlasting joy of the Lord should be the foremost pursuit of our life. If you don't have it, it should be the number one thing you need today. I don't care if you shop on Sunday and you've got a honeydew list and you're supposed to go on down a few miles and drop in the Walmart before you go home. That is not as important to get the milk and butter and eggs or whatever it is uh, else that you have, arthritis cream or whatever it is you have on your list. Right? The most important thing you need to get today is that joy of the Lord. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this story, and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Joy comes from the Lord, and the joy sets the required conditions to enter into it and to stay in it. And then one more from Jesus in John 15, verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus desires that we follow his teachings so that many may enter into his joy, remain in his joy, and stay full of his joy no matter what the happenings are around you 
on a pretty any given day. Uh, in Acts 13, 25, it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever met any people who spoke in tongues and looked mad at the world? I mean, <laughs> this section's not responding. I'm going to try it. Any of you? <laughs> All right. Look, <clears throat> Lee Grady said one time the, uh, the only thing meaner than a, a worse than a mean person is a mean person speaks in tongues. Some of you know that person. Some of you might have been that person at some point. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, you've got to be full of joy. In Romans 13, excuse me, 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We... we when we talk about being a Pentecostal church, we're talking about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, according to this, we have to have both joy and hope if we're going to be filled with the Spirit and walk in that power. In Philemon, uh, Paul writes to Onesimus. He says, yes, brother, verse 20, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. And here we learn that we can transfer this joy of the Lord to other believers, refreshing their hearts when we do what is right. And then there's the opening of Hebrews 12. Tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus got the hard job done. It was love that sent him on this mission. But it was the joy he saw ahead of him, which is what? All of us giving our hearts to him, all of us escaping hell, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all of us walking worthy of the calling that he's called us in, all of us not only being saved but becoming soul winners, following him, having a glorious eternal reunion with him in heaven. That's the joy that was set before him. He finished the job. Do you have a joy set before you? You know, if you can see, has anybody got a loved one that's just, you're almost tempted to quit praying for them. They're so honoring. And you've been praying for them so long, it seems like the longer you pray for them, the worse they get. I'm the only one. All right, there we go. We got, we got a few honest people here. All right. <clears throat> if you can have the joy of seeing them in heaven in front of you, you won't, you'll do anything. You'll bite your tongue. You'll get up in the middle of the night and pray for them. You, you will not give up on their soul as long as they're still drawing breath. Almost done. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. This is talking about your pastors and leaders. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, because that would be unprofitable for you. You know, I said that you can add joy to people's lives by right living. You can also 
pull joy out of them by the way you oppose them and work against them and gossip behind their back or offer passive resistance to them. And the warning here is if that's the way you treat your leaders, you are hurting yourself. James 1 opens up, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And to add to that, our last verse, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation, that's the coming of Jesus Christ, whom you have not seen, but you love. And though you've not seen him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I wanted to end on that incredible line. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Have you had that coming up in your soul? Have you had that coming out of your mouth anytime recently? If you haven't, you're walking below the expectations that Jesus has for you. You're walking below the privilege that he bought on the cross for you. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Having great joy in the middle of life's trials. Joy inexpressible and full of glory will carry us safely to our ultimate salvation. So now I say to you once more, in the words of Paul, in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How do I want to end this? I want to I want to ask you, anyone who's willing to stand and join with me in just expressing your joy for what Jesus has done for you. You say, well, we need a song. No, you don't need a song. When you get in your bed tonight, you know, Anna Grace is not over in the corner playing the piano, right? They're not going to be shining words up on your bedroom wall <laughs> for you to sing. Uh, who will join with me and just close this service in joy? You want to have that joy? You want to have the fullness of joy? You want joy to be the characteristic of your life? And, and what I'd like for you to do, I'm going to turn my microphone off so that I don't overwhelm you, is I just want to do what I'm planning to do before I go to sleep tonight and when I get up in the morning. And I would invite you to do the same thing. We've had what we referred to earlier as a concert of prayer. Everybody praying out loud together. How about a concert of praise, a concert of expressing the joy?
joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 